0: Okay, I'm tempted to start with a Star Wars reference that I know Oz won't know, but I, I do feel as if I'm meeting Obi-Wan and Darth Vader right now, the the, the sort of like first student, the Padawan of Oz. Um, at least from the article I came out, I didn't realize, Omar, that you're Oz's first student. You started all of this.
1: Is that, tr- is that true? I wouldn't call him first student, but he, he really was the inspiration for Bradfield like the Omar success story I mean before Omar I was totally skeptical of the boot camp model as an entry point for software engineers to get into the industry and um after Omar I was like yeah let's do it this is how (laughs) this is how it's going to be obviously the best way to approach one's career as a software engineer is to start as quickly as possible start writing code and then take a kind of top-down approach to computer science where you learn what you need to as you go uh with the motivation of applying that to real work of course you should do that and not like learn for four years in a traditional environment you know postponing the idea of applying that to work and then like never touch computer science ever again after you start working like that's just the total wrong approach so anyway it was it was a bit flip for me uh to have the the pleasure of working with Omar to be clear, you know, not the first student of Bradfield, but like the the proto student, the pre student.
2: Yeah, well, the pleasure was mine. I was I was always very motivated to to learn and, and grow fast, and then I found uh, mentorship, and I tried to extract the most out of it um, uh, deliberately. So uh, I think that I got more more out of it than than you of.
1: Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. But uh, maybe as quick context for people who have not not read this article, Omar, we describe Omar in the article, I describe Omar in the article, as uh, he's kind of the quintessential, in my mind, the first bit person I think of, who has been able to consistently apply himself uh, to the, the kind of learning objective that he had. And through that consistency, over even like a relatively short period of time in the context of one's career, go from uh, just like entry level to to having a major impact um, in a methodical way. So I presented him as a as a case study of someone who started as a bootcamp grad from one of the first bootcamp cohorts and then uh, you know consistently learned the computer science that he needed and also obviously other skills that he needed uh, to to succeed. But there are special aspects of Omar just beyond, you know his study routine or whatever. Uh, and uh, try to get that across in the article as well. So people listening, who haven't read the article. You may want to read it at least. It's a good list. article. It's good. I article. I underlined a bunch of things,
0: which which are maybe questions for Omar, but probably more so notes for me to reevaluate
1: my own study habits. So Omar, I, yeah, yeah. Just go ahead. I, I wonder if the best way to start, Omar, is to just describe your pre-software engineer life briefly, and like what motivated motivated you originally to become a software engineer because you again you're not like a lot of people who end up as software engineers they know at the age of 12 that that's what they want to do and they take CS courses in high school because they have good ones and then they major in CS at the age of you know they pick their major at 18 or something they're very tracked you, yours was a another experience wasn't
2: it yeah definitely not, not my case um my case was a little bit atypical I was in I actually did med school I am I'm a trained physician and um, I was in Spain, kind of doing the my ophthalmology residency. So my specialty is ophthalmology, like I'm an eye doctor. Uh, and uh, it's a four year program, and I was like in the third or fourth year. And um, you know, I started hearing. This is a funny story. I started hearing about kind of Silicon Valley and how you know fast companies grow there, and all the hype, and you know, people like being very successful. So, you know, I thought to myself, hey, I'm, I think I am kind of a smart guy, uh, you know, I'm a doctor and, you know, doctors are, are important and all that stuff. So I started looking to these websites like of companies um, to see what they were hiring for. And at that point, I was also doing like a, an MBA. And so I was like, okay, I'm a doctor with this business degree and all that stuff. it's gonna be very easy for me to get a job there. Um, and I started going through their job pages and, uh, the only thing that I saw is like, Hey, they were only hired for software engineer. I was like, Hey, what, what is this thing about software engineers that, that all these companies that are supposed to be like startups that grow very fast in the Silicon Valley? Um, what do they do? Like, so I started to research that area. And, um, and one of the startups that I found was, uh, the boot camp. And it was like a, a boot camp that said, Hey, if you come with us and you study for 12 weeks we're going to find you a, a gig as a software engineer it's like well that this sounds like fun affordable wait 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 then...
1: wait. but why why okay you you are on track you, like you just invested how many years of your life and you're oh, living in spain thing. you're li-
0: like what's going okay.
1: on why would you leave spain That's you gotta awesome. tell us more about the about the motivation you can't just say okay. it, it okay. sounded fun like it's a holiday and then you're going to go back to your ophthalmology residency like yeah, you're making yeah, a very okay. major life decision
2: I was, okay, I was in Spain. And and at that point, uh, it was like uh, 2010, 2011, 2012, right? And uh, kind of the economical situation was not very hot for Europe in general. And then um, I started doing some kind of assessment of the my future career as an ophthalmologist in Spain, and I started running some numbers. And they were like, very basic numbers. I was like, uh, looking for, like, I was checking all the physicians, all the ophthalmologists that were being trained in Spain. And I was, uh, matching that to the population that we had in Spain and Madrid and different districts. And, uh, I basically realized that like, I was not in a context set up for growth. Right. Um, and, um, I wanted to move into a place or into an industry that was more prone for growth. So when I started looking into it, it seemed like kind of software engineer could be one of those industries and the geolocation of Silicon Valley more concretely could be kind of like the hotspot for it. Right. So that is what took my curiosity into looking for for other things outside of healthcare and outside of Spain and Europe. Um so that's I, what Can I, I ask outside of
0: business too, were you also thinking the MBA? Like were you trying to parlay that into a job? How did how did your thinking change on the business side?
2: Well, on the, on the business side, I was like, well, I have this kind of degree and I can try to make the most out of it. But, but the thing is that the, the reality by, by looking into those job pages really kind of was very explicit and said, Hey, like 90% of the thing that we value here is software engineering. Right. Uh, so at that point when you get hit with that level of reality, like you have to reassess, like Mm -hmm. where you are and where you want to be. So at that point it's like, hey, yeah, I can probably pull this off somehow. It's going to be a bit tight, but if I try to explore whether software engineering is like a like a you know feasible career for me, probably I would be set, be more set up for success in the long run, right? So I decided to give it a try, and um, as many things in life, like start as an experiment to see if I like it or not. And um, before doing the camp, I did like trial on my own and and I did a couple of Udacity courses and I really got very interested on uh I think that this is one of the 1st algo uh, courses in Udacity I think that this was taught by Peter and like it was one of the three four first courses that were there like when there was like big hype of of Udacity 2012 and um and um, it was done in Python. So I remember I was kind of running through the course and I was taking notes. And I was like, oh, well, this, is, this is actually fun. And I feel like, you know, I understand it. And, you know, I wouldn't say that it came natural because, you know, there are a lot of concepts and a lot of primitives that are not natural, but but it it definitely was very, very engaging. And um, And once I did that, at the same time, I was kind of researching companies in the Silicon Valley and all that stuff, and I found that Camp, and um, and basically lined up everything that I wanted, or at least I wanted to try or experiment with, right? It's like, okay, I want to move into a different industry that has more, more of a growth potential. Uh, I want to move into a different geolocation that probably has a more growth potential. And, um, and I've done this kind of courses on my own, and I think that I've done well so far so what if i do a 12-week structure like course or plan here that sets me and that helps me find a gig and see if that works out or not but did you
0: did you burn the boats basically did you have to drop out of the medical program and things to do that 12-week thing or was it a temporary stint
2: no 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 so i finalized the ophthalmology residency in like june 2012 and and that was basically a time in which. I should have gone and looked for a job and all that stuff. And it's like, okay, let me take a little bit of time to figure out if software engineering, like if if this is something that I like. And for the following like three months or so, I I did a couple of courses on my own. Yeah. And then I found this Dev Camp, and I wanted to do it that October. But you know, like it, I think it was like the first cohort that they were no, the second cohort that they were launching on October. But you know, I I went I I applied late. So it's like, hey, you cannot do it in October. The next one is in January. <laughs> And I was a bit, you know, bummed for that, but it's like, okay, I'll do it in January. So, so, so I applied, I, I got accepted in like January, 2013 is when I did that 12-week program at Deb bootcamp, which memory was the de- third
1: cohort. For memory dev bootcamp, the initial cohort they got just by posting on Hacker News, is that right? Sharif, like posted something on Hacker News being like, is anyone interested I, I, in this idea?
2: I think that, I think that, that was the first cohort. And then Is after that where you first...
1: heard about it or?
2: No, 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 I, I heard about it. I heard about it. no no no. no. At, at that time I was less less kind of uh less online
1: News, uh, less, on less
2: online. I was more like on TechCrunch and stuff like that. so I I think that I heard it after the first cohort and then there there was an article on on TechCrunch uh and then that's when I started researching. Did, did you have any order.
0: friends or family members or colleagues who were software engineers?
2: No, 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 no it was it was just something that I you know I found out and I say okay let's go a try and I gave it a try for a couple of months it worked out and it's okay let's let's try a bit farther let's let's do a you know a real experiment here to see how it goes so uh, I'm, I'm,
1: yeah go ahead I'm curious to hear about the experience of that first boot camp as well because I mean for people who don't know boot camps like they have evolved at this point it's been uh, 10 years for some of them and um, for the earliest ones, it's been 10 years. Uh, and uh, the early cohorts, from what you can hear from people who participate in the early cohorts, are typically very, very different to the most recent cohorts in terms of the size, in terms of the like involvement of the founders or the original instructors, in terms of the people that it selects for, like, you know, at this point, a lot of the boot camps uh, we'll take in people who have finished CS degrees, maybe as a as a major uh, proportion of of the of the class, and we'll will give them a kind of finishing school that sets them up to be web developers, let's say. Uh, this is very different to the ophthalmologists, uh, <laughs> like the people from everywhere who have a very different background showing up with a kind of intensity. So I want to get a sense um, of like what was that experience like um who who was drawn to that like was it was it 20 other omars uh and what was the like what was the the kind of instructional environment like you know you know these days a lot of the boot camps are like lecture heavy they have instructors who are like spent a fair amount of their time just being instructors or like graduated from the program and became TAs and then instructors it's a very like we had a lot of like weirdly structured thing yeah
2: yeah, so no, at that time, um, there was, first of all, there was a lot of excitement in the environments, like you could go to the office and, and everyone was very excited to be there and to be participating on something new, uh, novel that could have a lot of impact that you, that you could feel. And then in terms of, kind of like the student, uh, it was it was a little bit all over the place, like we had someone from finance, we, have a, we had a product manager from Google. Um, we had, we had someone that was an expert in, in Chinese and Japanese, like very, very smart guy. Uh, and we have someone that was a teacher. So we had people from very, very different backgrounds. Um, some of them had total a bit on the side, some of them not. Um, uh, but all in all, people like very, very smart and very driven to, to learn like this kind of job or this um, to learn as much as they could in, in 12 ways, and then to, to figure, figure it out. And then in terms of the teachers, um, like you had people that wanted to take a little bit of a career break. Like for the most part, it was like people that were very senior in their, like, like senior in their software engineer careers, uh, that wanted to take a break and they were very uh, genuinely motivated to teach and mentor some other people, and they thought that this program was kind of like the future of teaching software engineering, engineering, and they wanted to give it a try. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, like the founders were very, very um, much in the office and trying to set the tone and the culture. So that is that is what I remember for for nine years, from nine years ago, and that is exactly where I met uh, Miles uh he was uh, an instructor there at um at the wood camp and uh, uh and Miles is the person that referred me to to Oz so
1: so before before we get to I mean we can talk about that if, if you like <laughs> but but what the main story that I need to make sure that we get out of you is uh Amada so, so tell us set us up for that uh why you were interested in this particular company, and what it took for you as a—I mean, maybe everyone who's interested in Amada, but a, a, a bootcamp grad in particular—to be interviewed. I don't, I don't know this. which company. Yeah, I, I don't know this story. Which one? Amada. Amada Health.
2: Oh, Amada Health. Oh okay, okay, okay. This is a good story. So, okay, so I, I've, I've finished. I finished uh, the the bootcamp and um and then it's like okay you know I finished this thing and I just need to make sure if I can find a job or not. So I made like this huge list of companies that ah actually did something that I think it was very smart at that time. Like I was I was subscribed to some of the newsletter letters. So I basically tracked every company that had just raised money because I was thinking, hey, if they raise money, they probably have a money to hire new people, right? So on I made a little, yeah, I spent me right yeah. on on keeping up with my education. So I made this huge list of companies that I wasn't going to target. And obviously, I was going to target companies in the healthcare sector, because there's where I felt I had an edge, because of my past, past background. And um, it's 2013. And you know, I started emailing a lot of companies, you know, most of them don't, don't reach back. And um, and I'm there in, in my room because I was renting a room at the time. And one of the companies that I was emailing or trying to get in touch is Omara Health and they were doing diabetes. And um, I was getting a little bit anxious because I was not getting responses. So I was there in my room and I was like, you know, what the heck? I'm gonna get the bike. I'm gonna go to their office, offices. I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna see if I can get an interview there. So that's what I did. I got the bike. I went to their offices. I basically knocked on the door like hey this is Omar. I just sent you an email like two hours ago I'm very excited about what you guys are trying to do and and I want you guys to interview me so so <laughs> um there was an HR person there it's like
1: the way that I remember the story sorry to interrupt but the way that I remember the story is that they actually sent a, a reply a rejection to your email that you just you just never got I didn't. you didn't I, see I,
2: I, I didn't get it I didn't get it because because I was writing to the office right. So I was writing to their office while I was writing to the office, they were, they sent me an email like, no, sorry, we're not going to interview you, but I showed up, but this is interesting because I showed up HR very, very, very nice people. And then the engineer manager was there and like, well, you're here. We, we to interview you. So I got the interview, even though they, they rejected me while, while I was driving. And um, this was the worst interview ever right like we did pair programming I was completely unprepared I claimed that I knew um uh Backbone uh and all that stuff so so the only for the kids thing that I out com-
1: there Backbone is like a pre one of the many pre-react uh, attempts at i kind of structured JavaScript programming
2: yeah so the only thing that I got right on the, you know, 45 minute interview that we're doing per programming. It's like some CSS stuff. So, and, and I was proud about it. But then when I got home, I was like, oh shit, like this is never going to happen again. Right. So I bought a book and then I started like, like beginning to end. And for the following interviews, I was much, much more prepared. I was going to ask this
0: about the boot camps. Did you feel as if your experience was geared towards interview prep? at all because I I think I was I was late 2015 when I went through my boot camp and interview was this interview prep was this sort of like undercurrent of everything we were doing where every day oh. we did at least one toy problem lead code style thing in the mornings and then the last week was like fully dedicated to that was that at all part of the that first
2: cohort no yeah. like uh it was it was an afterthought it was like yeah. no you guys are going to have the enough tools in the toolbox to to figure it out and you know it may take you a couple of attempts to figure out but you will eventually figure out that was a little bit like the vibe that we had at that time Mm. idealistic very very idealistic yeah it was that it was that 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 part of the cycle
1: I love that 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 worked out for you though I mean not that particular interview but the like the idealism that you brought of like I'll just show up and say hey I'm Omar uh yeah well
2: yeah, yeah. it's true that the interview didn't didn't end up well but uh there were a lot of learnings from that interview and, and and i feel that you know what i remember is that that interview was kind of like turning turning a corner for me it's like okay okay now i know what you know how i need to go prepared to the you know to the interviews and it was a completely different story after, after that one that,
1: that i have reminds assume, me I, I guess sorry
0: uh I have a it just reminds me of my own experience where I was interviewing at Minerva where a buddy of mine worked and there was another student of Oz's there Jason Ben and I interviewed with Jason and the interview did not go well and he was just like dude I like you you are not ready for this at all you're you should like walk out of this interview now it was like in the like, first like 10 minutes he could tell and he's like, "We can interview again next week, whatever." And I was like, "No, I'm ready. Let's do this." Did it? The interview was terrible. And he basically did the equivalent of like sliding a business card across. He's like, "You should talk to Oz and Miles." Uh, and yeah. good. And then Oh, that's how
1: you—that's how you heard about us. By, oh yeah, through Jason. Oh, what a great oh, yeah. uh, interview! To, to... <laughs> yeah. we're all here today thanks to that failed interview. That's fantastic. Yes. Yes. I had I had no idea about that. Yeah. I was gonna say that it uh, it reminds me of the the thing that happened a few hours ago uh of the Starship blowing up do you guys watch that I watched I the, mean I watched the last 10 seconds long, but but I mean so like there is this audacious I mean not as audacious as Omar on his bike but this audacious attempt to make the world's largest ever rocket and they made the thing go up like amazing they launched the thing uh, it did everything that they wanted for some period of time and then started failing in ways that, you know, they couldn't predict the ways that it was going to fail. And no one's it's like, it's it's not like they were trying to send the thing to Mars today. Uh, it's obviously a test flight. It's designed to, to, to detonate when they press the button and they press the button after minutes. I have no idea if they were expecting it to be after 30 seconds or 10 minutes or something. But it was like a thing that ended with an explosion which along the way they learned a ton uh and now they're gonna have that information for months and then they're gonna launch again like that's just the way that you have to do it and if you're worried about the the ship blowing up like you're just never gonna try anything
0: or the message is make sure you sort of sign your deals with other governments to transport their things into space in that first three and a half minutes (laughs) right that's the
1: that's the other takeaway just let go of the satellite and come back yeah it's like well yeah I mean but the yeah. The reason I'm thinking about it is because the news reports are all like spaceship blew up but the, the but the they're meant to be successful test flight yeah of rocket yeah. leading to uh information about how to launch the world's largest rocket just like an amazing accomplishment but but the people get this uh I mean the world is telling them that what happened here is the rocket blew up and I feel like there's a similar kind of uh r- response to bad news or rejection from interview or something where people are like i don't want to i don't want to deal with that rejection Mm. whereas the approach that you need to take is like well i'm I'm interviewing for literally my first software engineering job or i'm just trying to do this ambitious thing and i have an expectation that people are going to say no at some point and i need to expedite the process of getting information and developing myself and figuring out what i need to learn or do and i should like just embrace that not intentionally fail obviously but embrace the process of of learning and expecting to have my rocket ship blow up a few times uh, so I love like I, I very frequently think about Omar on the bike because there are a lot of people who come to me saying I feel like I'm not ready to interview yet and this is whether it's sort of their first job or like they're five ten years into their careers and they're trying to level up and they're like oh I need to do more of this prep and uh, like what's my process and which companies do I talk to first and whatever and I'm like you are over prepared you are under active what you need to yeah. do is get on your push bike mm-hmm. show up at these companies and ask for an interview I'm just but like it's scary Oz I think I maybe the guidance then is don't go to your number one top choice right away. Sure, yeah yeah well yeah there's, sure. there's that kind of tactical thing as well but like the main thing I want to do is say expect uh rejection treat this as more of a numbers game you know if if there's a company that you're really committed to sure like leave that towards the end but the the main failure mode is people not showing up enough mm. like not uh, not asking enough not reaching out to enough people not putting themselves out enough uh like not attempting things that they're are bound to fail
0: it also just the story feels so anachronistic now because I don't know what you do in this post-covid virtual world (laughs) who's Manning the office of that company and are they prepared to give you a software engineering interview now if there's even anyone there it's just it's kind of
1: adorable the story (laughs) look I mean maybe maybe they're not going to give you an interview right there but then they're going to give you a business card or the LinkedIn information and you're going to persist okay good you never know
0: Omar at that point um one other the lens if you're comfortable sharing but like did you have a a family or anything sometimes i feel like when people oh. take these big risks they're in their early 20s and they've got nothing on their plate etc and if you have a family it's too late so uh where were you in terms of your other important things in your life
2: no i at that point i was married and, and we had a baby and um and uh yeah so so yeah we like while I was kind of experimenting my my kind of like like the devilwood camp and then figure out figuring out a job and all that stuff uh, my wife still was in in Madrid with my with my daughter but as soon as I got my kind of my first gig um I brought them over and um, we continued the journey. Cool.
0: yeah no, it's it's good to know that you still like risk taking is still possible.
2: Happen. yeah risk taking yeah it's you know it ha- you have to be more obviously tactical yeah. um and and understand the you know the boundaries and where you can push and where you cannot push everyone you know has their own uh personal situation but yeah there's there's always room for a bit of risk taking here there
1: when you got your first job omar um which you know sadly not Amada. Uh, and not not yet the uh, Vita where we work together but when you got your first job what um degree of expectation did you have that you'd have to keep learning and keep investing in yourself like did Dev bootcamp set you up like as a lifelong beginner as they as they talk about were you thinking that this is just the start of a learning journey or how did you feel about like what you well well
2: I, I I knew I was very much behind on my understanding of computer science Right, and um, and um, you know, I don't remember anything particular from the boot camp. Like, if anything, I remember myself understanding what was my situation compared to other peers. Right, like we had some other people in the company that had been working for, had been studying for four years um, in a in a classic computer science program, and I was not there. So. I was very inherently motivated to continue learning and, and improving and getting better. And, um, and it was very obvious because I was doing the the job and sometimes like very easy stuff for other people was very, very difficult for me and challenging. And it's not because, you know, I didn't get something or it's the, the only thing that I, I had never been exposed to it. And once I got exposed to it, it became easy. So I became very comfortable with not knowing a lot of things there we go i became here's very my,
0: comfortable my with... baby making a making a cameo hi tavi hello
2: okay. hello sorry sorry omar no worries so i became very comfortable not knowing a lot of things and being very very aware that i was very a lot of things and i made like a very deliberate effort to continue learning and continue growing and um yeah what did that deliberate
1: effort look like at that point
2: so at that point, uh, one of the things that I did is, um, Miles was a common friend, was one of the teachers in ended up with And, um, I reached out and say, Hey, Miles, you know, like I have this, my first gig in the industry, like things are going pretty well, I would say, but I feel that I'm behind in very basic concepts. Um, do you mind if we meet like every Sunday for an hour or so? And we talk about stuff like I'll come up with stuff that I want to talk about. Like, it could be like databases because I had a problem setting a database locally. It could be some sort of JavaScript that I don't understand how to do. It could be some, some sort of thing that came to my mind and I don't know if I'm thinking to the, in the right lens or not. And it's like, yeah, okay, all right. We can meet uh, every Sunday for um, 30 minutes or an hour, whatever you need. And then we can work through through those cases that you bring. So you know that's how I kind of kept being on the loop with someone senior uh that I respected a lot at the time I still respect but you know respected as, as you know as a powerhouse of, of computer science knowledge
1: so Omar, this is a, a a great in my opinion idea and kind of obvious in a way and you're literally the only person I've heard of who finished a boot camp and thought oh I will engage one of the instructors to meet with me weekly even after I have a job like hey Charlie have you heard of anyone else has done that no absolutely not I thought I was like basically I was like I'm free let
0: me go continue my life I didn't think that I had to, I knew I was missing things I think I assumed that that would happen naturally in the job uh, which was the wrong assumption
1: yeah I wonder if that's the thing I mean I was just going to ask Omar, why do you think you do that and nobody else does that or has done that like obviously you know Bradfield now exists so a lot of people show up at our door maybe a year or two after they've graduated looking to continue their education and obviously people buy books and go to conferences and do these things but like it's a very direct approach to say I will engage one of the instructors continue my education what what do you think for you to do that and doesn't for other people
2: well the, the the thing is that when i when i started working at health Ed, which was the first gig that i had in the industry um i realized that you know like like more than 50 percent like 70 60 70 percent of, of the job was really understanding how the um, environment was set up like how to run the database how to deploy like making sure that the script was correct but it was very particular to To the company in that point in time, and it had nothing to do with like general understanding of computer science or software engineering, right? And and I was having like some basic questions around. I I remember sometime I was I started to become a little obsessed with performance in the web client and stuff like that. But there were some basic things that I could not answer, Uh, um, or it were it was difficult for me to comprehend. Like you know, an end-to-end request of a of uh, an API call, like where's the latency? Where can I check the latency? I don't know. Those are things that I remember that 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 um, I had questions about, and um, obviously, like you know, in the work, workplace, like there's usually no one there to to kind of like answer those questions if there's no no business need. Um, and that's why I reached out. It's like, hey, I I have,
0: I have a theory, which is you know, theory I think that. your medical background. You are used to like, there's the surface level of seeing symptoms and detecting the symptoms and then figuring out the correct remedy. And maybe that's the, maybe that's the first layer of the onion that many people in your job in your job, you'll figure out how to hopefully detect the the problems and solve them. But you came at this from a medical mind where you're like, okay, why, what's causing that? What is, is there some process that's related that is causing this? What's the root cause? I feel like maybe, and this is me projecting based on your background, that you had this uh, training that, from the medical side, led you to be curious to understand how things are connected and what the what was going underneath going on underneath the surface. That's what I would like. Software engineers to do. are
1: meant to do that too. Like we're well, meant to be good at debugging. Like that's diagnostics for software systems. Yeah, uh, but, but nobody does that level of meta diagnosis of like, oh, you know, why aren't why am I not able to get answers to my questions and like what's the direct mm. that's an Omar thing that's okay <laughs> that, no, that's
2: then then you know you also know Miles uh uh Oz, and, and he this 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 uh at, at that point when I was kind of like starting my software software engineering yeah, there was like this this notion that it was like the right way of doing things within software engineering or the a better way to do things right and uh miles very opinionated about you know how to do things how to architect systems all that stuff and 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 like you know being able to go to someone like miles and that had like a strong opinion about how to build a good system will also you know really help uh guide what the things that I need to learn or or, or double clicking
1: so what what kind of thing did uh, do you remember anything that you learned from Miles specifically or like what was the focus of uh, some of your conversations
2: I I I don't know I think that like he got me hooked up with uh functional programming um I think that he, he was very big into functional programming so then I started reading like uh this, this book that I really enjoyed like uh uh, functional JavaScript, I have it, I have it there. And, uh, I started working through those problems and all that stuff. And, um, it was pretty amazing to see how you can get a language like JavaScript that at that point was like jQuery and, and backbone and all that stuff. And, and you could do like functional programming and use it in a different way, not use classes, which were very like, um, cumbersome, like at that time. And, um, and, uh, he also gave very good recommendations about about some books that I started reading um so those those are the types of kind of conversations and engagement that we had back in the day
1: and uh then is HealthTap still around I presume it's not I think I think
2: they're still around I think that they're still around
1: it's kind of funny to talk about these startups Amada as well I don't know what's. do you know what state Amada is in at, at some point they're like the next big thing and then I don't know You could tell me they went public or they you could tell me they went Boston and... <laughs> Okay. i have
2: no clue yeah. i'm not tracking them
1: um but so uh, for whatever reason you decided to move on from HealthTap, and um miles uh put you in touch with me i don't i don't remember the details of that or
2: maybe yeah so so i was you know in one of those conversations you know that i was following up with miles i was talking to him and he was like hey i have a very good friend that's starting a company within the healthcare space and i think that uh, you should talk to him. It was like, well, that's great. Let's, let's talk to him. And, you know, I, I remember I was, you know, like, um, it was it probably a Saturday because I remember that I was in the park when I first called you and probably was with the, with the kids there. Um, so I called you and I said, Hey, this is Omar. Like miles, give me your, your contact. And, um, this is what I do. And, um, and he told me that you're starting a healthcare startup. So if you can tell me a little bit more and if, if it sounds if it sounds good we could you know follow up the conversation as a support interview so that's what we did and um i remember that uh you follow up with uh with a screen interview that you know i did at home and i, I don't remember the, the the problem that we did but yeah uh, was what, probably... what was your
0: go-to what was your go-to uh take home
1: Any oh idea? uh i think well that would have been like a a, a live phone screen i think okay. i don't think i Senate, Senate take yeah. Yeah. No, no, it a live take there's probably yeah. I was probably I don't know Fibonacci and then we just see what Fibonacci. happens like
2: Fibonacci it was Fibonacci for yeah, like sure.
1: recursive iterative memo-wise, like just play yeah. play with it in different ways yeah
2: it was, it was I mean it's a medical. tiny
1: company you can you can literally start with any problem it's just an excuse to think about it and just see where the conversation goes yeah
2: yeah yeah, yeah. so we did that uh and then uh you guys uh call me in for an interview in the offices and then we so, did a tic-tac-toe
1: oh uh, yeah yeah that's a nice I like that as an interview question tic-tac-toe we yeah. um so for those who haven't read the article at the time like it was it was the very early team and I think so it was me I mean I'm I'm not traditionally CS educated and uh like did my education in Australia so like at least we've got that example of someone who is not set up to be good at computer science but otherwise one of the co-founders is like a Stanford grad focusing in systems like a CS grad focusing in systems and then I think we'd hired probably Avik who was a Berkeley grad at that point or was Avik just that no 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 I
2: was was the first engineering non-founder hire and then and then we hired Avik
1: Avik was the next yeah, so yeah. it was a, like internally there was a question of like is this, you know, he's very junior. And we hadn't heard of boot camps previously. Like I hadn't heard of boot camps until Miles just happened to be working at one. And um, I mean, I guess they weren't really around. Like Dev Bootcamp was more or less the first. Hi. Hi. Um, I'm gonna uh, just waiting for my little girls to show up too. Uh <laughs> and uh yeah so we we just like didn't know what to expect I guess and we were like well you know we've come up with an interview process that should work like it should distinguish capable people from those who don't want we want who do, we don't want to hire and um so we had to kind of trust the process and we we're like well I guess we're hiring Omar. uh it's amazing which, yeah and so then then the context I guess we said this context as you started omar correct me if I'm wrong but it's basically like we're, we're hiring you based on not your current abilities, but our expectation that you're going to grow into like a, a broader capabilities. Yeah,
2: yeah. 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 Often, often, you know, you've always been very straightforward and, uh, uh, and you were also very straightforward at that time. And, um, and yeah, you made it very clear. It's like, Hey, you are very junior. You don't have a lot of experience and you don't know much what you're doing. But uh, we we see we see we see potential on on kind of like the way you're thinking and the way you're approaching problems. No, it's interesting uh, from
0: a from a hiring manager perspective. Sometimes you would hear or expect them to say, I just want someone who can hit the ground running. Or if someone is going to like be in a growth state, do I have time? Do we have capacity to train someone up to this level? But I think if you were able to detect that Omar, this person is hungry to learn and they've got the habits to learn they've got a personal tutor they've got their own Aristotle on the side uh this is great so I think it's just really cool Oz that you were able to recognize that and like sort of allow that growth to happen there and um Omar good job making it known that you were a uh,
1: uh, a growth mindset person that's awesome
2: yeah well it worked out
1: yeah the growth mindset thing is funny right like I think the classic joke is like either you have a growth mindset or you don't it's like you can like you know how do you get out of a fixed mindset um and um yeah so like being able to say like it's not only that we want people with a growth mindset but we cannot grow them into a growth mindset necessarily uh makes it makes it easier to say yes to people like Omar but I mean we're also a startup and like it's hard to convince People to come if they've got a lot of experience and have like uh, substantial comp expectations, and there's always. I mean, we did hire those people as well, Um, but uh, you know, like as as a startup, you're you're obviously casting the net wider and seeing more, um, more of a diverse set of capabilities in people than if you're like hiring into a machine uh that takes a very well-defined person at a a well-defined stage of their lives and like you know taking them to L4 whatever uh different different kind of hiring proposition in the article was this the point where
0: the daily routine applied as you listed a daily routine is this at at Vita Health is that where you you did that routine and do you mind describing
1: it for everyone (laughs) <laughs> yeah Yeah, and so, apologies if I misremembered or took artistic license or something feel free to just correct what I what i missed. no
2: uh no I I'm I'm an early morning person so I wake up very early and um uh when I was working with Oz like I was a bit more deliberate on that on that habit uh so I was working like waking up particularly early I would say like 4 a.m and then I would um some people four, let me just
1: explain this for people listening there is a 4 a.m it is much like 4 <laughs> p.m but usually most mortals will sleep through it uh there yeah. is a there is a four in the morning as well so continue
2: yeah so at that at that point I you know I woke up and then I studied for probably a couple of hours an hour and a half depending on day right um and sometimes we were we were studying books or I was studying books I what sometimes Sometimes I was, sometimes I was working because kind of like the problem was appealing enough, um, to, to work and not study. Um, sometimes I was studying articles, uh, reading something different. Um, and then, and then I did a little bit of exercise, um, in the morning. And then, um, you know, I, I had breakfast with the family and then I would go to the office. Um, and that was that was my morning routine and then you know when i went home in the evening i had a more chill routine and i was like uh like only only take care of the family and then sleep go go sleep early
0: yeah like what seven thirty is what i would expect to hear
2: no a bit a bit later more like eight thirty nine. 39 oh, wow. uh, okay. uh uh so i could get a good good number of hours of, of sleep um and then start over again uh
1: so one aspect of this story is like if you consistently study for an hour or two every morning uh you are you are just on a totally different trajectory to everybody else in the industry who doesn't doesn't study whatsoever like puts almost zero effort into their self-improvement like put aside their career progression or whatever like they're actual actually increasing their abilities basically nobody ever does that in the in the industry like it's a rounding error the number of people who actually intentionally do that and you were doing that very consistently uh you know for at least an an hour a day you know sometimes a couple of hours a day so one way of looking at the story is like just be consistent and uh you will learn and grow but then there's the other way of looking at the story which is like what enabled you to be consistent what drove you to be consistent like why were you able to achieve consistency when we all kind of know that we ought to be consistent
2: well i think that you know at the end i was like i was very interested on in the problems that i failed that i should know like i should learn and, and get better at um and then the other thing is like honestly i felt that i was very behind and um i didn't have the luxury luxury to be behind mm-hmm. for a long time right so at some point you, need you mean to like
1: did, did you mean behind like the average software engineer behind like the people you were working with at the time or what?
2: Well, yeah, probably the people I was working with, but I, it was within the, the that, that statement is within the context of my software engineering cap- capabilities and my software engineering understanding. And, um, and basically the understanding that I thought at that time I needed to have to succeed in my career as a software engineer. So, so. That's what I felt, and then um, I also found the problems like very interesting to learn about and to study and to understand. Um, and then the other thing is that at that time I was very focused on kind of like family and and work and and improving as a software engineering, a, a software engineer, and a little bit of health and, and and nothing else. And then I had what I view as ample time to to study. So. So in that sense, I, I never felt that it was a shortage of time to, to study. Just because I was focused on, on just a couple of things.
1: Well, I mean, that's interesting because you 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 have your day job, you have your family, uh, and you are finding time to study and you're saying, well, that's ample time. Uh other people, when they look at their day job and their family, they're like, Oh, I don't even have enough time to give to my family. Uh, or I don't have enough time to give to my day job. Yeah. Uh is well like why do you think that you were in a situation where you felt like you had ample time and uh other people run out of time do you have a sense of like what people other people are spending their time <laughs> on or it, are they just doing family wrong like are they not getting know. like malleable family time or something what what's going on one,
2: one thing I tell you is that like um um I don't have a TV so we don't, we don't watch TV so uh that's that's uh one of the things that, that I don't do and I didn't do back in the day um but uh yeah I I can I can only speak for the things that I do I can not speak for the the things that other people do you can watch TV on your phone by the way so I hope that that
1: doesn't ruin your your life
2: (laughs) it is it's not that engaging
1: though I mean it's it's a reasonable thing to to say and we also don't have a TV and I've debated like getting a TV and what what impact it would have on the kind of family dynamic and I think having a big thing that you can just turn on and it becomes a default behavior to like spend hours in front of it. It is yeah, very different, different, different to like the intentional act of taking out the laptop or whatever and watching something with the kids. Not... The,
2: the default is the is the dangerous thing. Like for example, now like we watch a little bit of soccer, uh, but it's it's very intentional. It's very deliberate, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, it only happens on the weekends, so so it's kind of intentional deliberate and kind of self-contained um so that that leaves a lot of time for a lot of things
1: I feel like also you being intentional about your commute um gave you gave you some time because other people like have a driving commute and they listen to podcasts or something and pretend that they're learning something from it but really that's just another form of having a TV it's just the TV in your car that speaks instead of shows you things uh whereas you took the train and um and use use some of that time at least so yeah,
2: yeah yeah sometimes we were like I was building like side projects and and uh using the time to
1: to keep them
2: building sometimes it was like short articles or i was in the middle of the book or you know reading a chapter or two so i also that, added, added up all, all that adds up huh All that adds You know up. the yeah. the
0: as you were making a point earlier i just wanted to share how universal this advice is for if you put in the time, you'll be surprised what happens. One of the things I've been doing, Oz knows this, but over the last year or or probably three years, I've been trying to get better at fiction writing. And I've read all these books on advice from authors and the universal advice is every morning, wake up, go put your butt in that seat, grab a pen, grab your typewriter, whatever and just write some words if you write 500 words a day you're gonna have a novel it doesn't have to be a good novel but you're gonna have a novel in a couple months which is it's just it's just universally no matter what you just putting in that time and in my case I ended up with a pretty bad novel but I'm working on I'm working on the editing
1: so that's but the bad novel just like the spaceship blowing up like it's part of the process right you can't expect your first novel to to be fantastic anyone who tells you that is lying like yeah. or they like they learn from writing other things that are close enough to being their first novel it's just the are process you, yeah are you still waking up at 4am no not, not
2: not that early I I still wake up with no timer which is a, a good achievement um but not that early maybe like between five thirty and 6 is, is when I wake up
0: and uh is, what's the what is the sort of self-study mode now are you are you still actively picking up new textbooks like and I, I, Oz, I don't know if i jumped the gun on the uh the narrative arc here but i'm I'm curious to see if the consistency has remained consistent
2: i'm i'm uh, spending less time studying and uh more time um focused on understanding how to solve the some of the problems that we have like in the company and all that stuff Mm -hmm. um so that's where where I spend my my cycles now
1: it's been eight years so you know you're you're allowed to like uh, take the foot (laughs) off the computer science pedal no but do you still feel the imposter syndrome of feeling like you have to catch up to everyone
0: else who studied for four years tell me tell me you feel it or you don't
2: (laughs) no I don't I don't you don't okay no I don't at this point you can escape
0: imposter syndrome it's that's good to hear
2: I yeah yeah you can you can you have to write a lot of specs, but you can
1: uh so subsequently in your in your career I mean sadly we're not allowed because you have the kind of role maybe I'm not even allowed to say this but because you have a kind of role where it's important to not talk about the details of the role we cannot talk about the details of the role uh but putting that aside uh over over the last seven eight years as you progress in your career what are like the early habits that you've maintained at least kind of structurally and um do you feel like that set you apart from the other engineers at the companies that you've worked at uh how do you find yourself like how do you how do you feel like you compare now to a self-taught engineer or a traditionally educated engineer or like a standard engineer like what is that um how do you how do you feel about yourself in comparison yeah, I, I,
2: well yeah. generally speaking i feel very good <laughs> um but um for your earlier question about you know structurally what are the what are things that that i've done kind of in in the workplace or or in my career i think that um I've never seen my my job like as a fixed set of actions or things or systems that I needed to kind of attain or or develop I've always been very interesting to very interested to understand what are kind of like the problems that the company has or the 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 company is facing regardless whether the problem is within my team within my org at our length or me or on the other side of the of the org. Um and then you know, try to figure out if, if I had an edge on on helping on those problems and if I could help on those problems. A lot of the time like you realize that, you know, it's way too out of scope for you to even give a hand and, and you would get in the way. But some of the some other times it's like, okay, I'm gonna try, try here. I think I have a couple of things that I can add to the conversation at least and see where it leads. And then one thing leads to a different thing and then opportunities arise within within the, those companies. So so if anything is I've never seen my job as a close or fixed set of um you know things that I need to do or or check boxes that I need to check that I was always trying to figure out or I always try to figure out if there's anything interesting to for me to to get my hands dirty.
0: How have you felt as it relates to mentorship within the workplace? Have you been able to create uh, junior Omars? And is the advice uh, my the folks in your team that they have to wake up at 4 a.m. and you know take an hour long Caltrain even if they don't need to take the train? Like, how do you? Because I, I feel like the my inclination is like you should do it the way I did it, but maybe that won't work for everyone. So what is your what's been your general advice patterns for people who want to be more like you?
2: So um my general advice is in in companies there's always very smart people that are inclined to teach or offer mentorship without even a formal program that doesn't need to be a formal program or a formal relationship like for someone to grow in a company the best thing that they can do is if they're inherently motivated is spot out who that smart people are that want to help, and they want to kind of mentor people through their careers and extract the max out of them. Like that's what I did with Oz. That's what I've been doing in in Raleigh, the the company that I work for, and that's what I'm gonna you know do in the future. And and some people kind of um, have approached me in, in a similar way, and then like at that point is is it's for me to give back um but I I usually don't don't offer like very prescriptive uh recommendations on what to do it's more of a inherent motivation to genuine motivation to to people learning and keep it improving I
1: I feel like everyone knows that it'd be valuable to have mentors and then very few people end up with a kind of relationship uh you know whether they call a mentor or not like they they functionally don't get mentorship uh despite knowing that they should and uh, people people ask me specific things like how do I get a mentor at this company or whatever uh what what do you think that you did or you know brought to that relationship or what like how is it that you managed to establish I mean with you and me it was just obvious like we we're a very small team and we, we were constantly scared that the, the company just wouldn't work out. And so we were just doing everything that we could to be as collectively capable as possible. But you you know, you set up a relationship with miles, uh, you know, you got good mentorship uh, with us together and it seems like you just continued to do that for your whole career. Like how did you actually, you know, sure you identify the right person? Maybe is it an aspect of identifying the person who's going to be amenable to that relationship? or how do you present yourself to these people or how do you like get this, kind of um dynamic yeah. established yeah i th- I think that you know it, it first
2: of all it has to have been very natural like like th- this type of thing so a relationship cannot be forced like when when i was working with you oz like it was a similar story like hey i was very junior uh you're very senior um But you wanted to teach, right? Like you wanted to share your knowledge. So I detected that, like, and and you're very smart. So so I established a a relationship in which it was not only work work um relationship. It was like, hey, this is the thing that I've been looking into. What do you think? Do you think it's a reasonable pattern, this, that, all that stuff? So I was adding to the conversation with you because you wanted to teach and and um and you added a lot to me because I wanted to learn, right? Same with with in in any other company, like you have to spot like the smart people or I've tried to spot like the smart people that really want you to improve. And at the end of the day, like the common goal is usually something within the company, right? There's a problem in the company or there's something that needs to get get fixed. And there's like this genuine interest to to align incentives and and figure out the people that that will help you get there. I've never gone to someone and say, hey, I want you to be my mentor. Like that. that's not how this, this works. It's more like, hey, I wanna solve this problem. And this is the way that I've thought about it, but you know, I just wanna bounce a couple of ideas with you and, and see what you think. Um, and then they will unload all, all what they have in their minds. And, and that's kind of the way that you get mentorship, right? Like you try to solve a problem, you know that you're probably like 60, 70% or you're in the ballpark. And then you go to the smartest kid in the room. And then you tell me, okay, now tell me a solution and give me, get, get me to a hundred percent. And you did that like repeatedly and consistently. And and that's how you get into a mentorship relationship, even though there's nothing established as, as
0: you, you don't want to DTR. You don't want to define the relationship because that that, yeah. that, that ruins the
2: magic. Yeah. That ruins it. Yeah, that ruins it. And then the other thing is that it doesn't need to be in a fixed cadence, right? Like, 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 like problems or genuine interest about something. Like, some, there are periods of time where there's a burst of it, like, and then every day you're talking about something new. And there's like weeks or maybe months in which you know there's nothing new, so there's no need to to push it. Um, and when it comes natural and it's very very genuine, then the thing the thing rolls.
1: I think that when you t- we talk about showing up with 60 to 70% of a solution I f- it, I feel like that's key it's like we have a a shared yeah. pro- problem and I've made an earnest attempt to solve it and uh, you're going to like help me hopefully to get the rest of the way there but I'm doing I'm kind of doing a lot of your work and you're going to do some of my work cuz it's like shared work but you're not showing up saying like I have made no earnest attempts to solve this problem and uh, can you can you take me the whole way there or having something vague like uh I want some professional help or professional advice or something it's like concretely I've made it this far can you help take yeah it further?
2: yeah 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 the other the other way like hey I haven't spent time on this tell me what I need to do that will never work and that will actually kill the relationship it's like dude I've put hours hundreds of thousands of hours to understand that and you want me now to bring you up to speed when you haven't put the reps. This is not how it works. Right. So there needs to be an honest and genuine interest to solve something. And then people would be more than happy to share their, their learnings, their
1: understanding. So I thought, I wonder how much as well. Sorry. I'm,
0: I'm, I'm sort of circling the wagon here. I was going to say, uh, I thought we could close with everyone's favorite, uh, chat GPT prompt technique, which is actually, that is not how I want to end. I don't want (laughs) to talk about that. But uh, I did just, my close was, Omar, uh, I know, I think I've met you once before, but it's been awesome and inspiring to to hear this. I, Oz, also, I'm inspired that you you said you were going to write an article and you wrote the article. So good job. And it only uh, took me three months. But... Yeah. But if you write a couple words every morning, it can happen. There. almost
2: again. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for having me on your podcast.
1: Amazing. Absolute. Absolute pleasure, man.
2: See you around.
1: Catch you later. Bye-bye.
2: Bye.